when a person is non-verbal, people will talk about them because they can't speak, but they don't seem to realise, well, they, they can understand. Yeah. I find it so rude when people do that. I think it's so disrespectful. I'm Anne Dibbon, and this is Unexpected Turns, where along with my good friends, Beverly and Julie, we get to talk to some pretty amazing people whose lives have taken an unexpected turn. Does my child have autism? Nowadays, this is asked by a growing number of parents. And this was the question Emma, a very capable nurse and now new mum, desperately needed answering. But as well as answers, she needed support. Definitely. As co-hosts, we know just how hard it is for parents and families to get the support they need for their children, having been involved with special needs pretty much our whole lives. And it's not only finding the answers, but it is finding that support that is so essential for moving forward. So, today we're delighted to welcome Spectrum of Misconception founder, Emma Saysells. Spectrum of Misconception is a fantastic social enterprise charity supported by Dame Laura Kenny. Anyway, it's lovely to see you both. You too, Emma. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're delighted that you actually found time because you're really busy. Yeah, it is pretty full on at the moment. (laughs) But that's, you know, it's lovely to talk to you. What have you been up to today? This morning I managed to do some exercise, which is always good. So I've been on my bicycle, just on the static bicycle on the turbo trainer, which I enjoyed. It was a very hilly circuit, though which I didn't enjoy. Because <laughs> oh. you've always cycled, haven't you? You come from a family of cyclists. Yeah. We used to go on the back of the tandems with mum and dad initially. So we started, I think my youngest sister was four, so I would have been seven. And you've got two older sisters, or you, you sadly you had two older sisters, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so I had Sophie and Joe and Charlotte, who's younger than me. So Sophie's the oldest. And then Joe, then me. You cycled as a family and you were quite competitive because that's how you met Lisa. Yeah, I mean, I was never really a very good racer. I always used to just give it up. <laughs> My sisters were all good. Uh, Charlotte was very good. And she and Lisa were sort of quite competitive with each other because they were of a similar age. But we have yeah, always had a lifelong love of cycling. It's a hard sport to leave behind. You clearly still keep it up. (laughs) I try. (laughs) I'm not as fit as I could be or should be. Do you actually get out and do (laughs) cycling or are you just, you know? I don't so much now. It's during lockdown, I went out quite a bit. And it was so nice to be on roads that weren't so heavily populated by cars. But then as lockdown eased... I felt much more uneasy on the roads because I suppose just having that little bit of time when there weren't so many cars, all of a sudden, you know, I realised how many cars there are. It just makes me feel a bit anxious. Although I, you know, I love the countryside. I just am scared about the cars. And when you're using it to relax and take your mind off other things, you don't need that, do you? No, I mean, you know, I think, Not everyone, but there's a lot of very impatient drivers out there. And they just won't give you... I mean, I, you know, a wing mirror clipped me when I was out, sort of, probably the last time I was out on the roads. And, you know, you just sort of think... It reminds you how fragile you are. Absolutely. You know, I need to be in one piece for my boy. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your sort of backstory, Emma, and conception of uh, spectrum of misconception? Well, where to start? You know, I had a a normal pregnancy with Zach. I worked, I was working in accident and emergency at that time, but everything was fine, really. And um, unfortunately, my labour was very, very long. I'm not sure, you know, who, who knows? But probably from 
About eight months, I started to think that Zach may have autism. That's very young to pick that up. Yes, it it is. You know, I had a little bit of knowledge about autism because I went back to work after Zach was born. And one night I was at work and there was a young girl came in and she had autism. And I noticed that she had a fascination with the lights and Zach had a fascination with lights. And it was a bit of a sort of, um, Zachy wasn't babbling. And, you know, I was constantly chatting to him. So that was another, you know, another alarm bell. And then we used to do a walk in the village. We lived in Sussex at that time. And we used to do a walk where we went past a big enclosure with chickens in. And he never looked at them. And, you know, I knew really that, a child would be interested in them yeah there were just those little indications really it was very very difficult to get any professionals to listen to the concerns that I had and that impacted on my the way I felt because people kept saying oh you're over anxious you know you're a first-time mother you're looking for things which aren't there and you sort of feel nobody's listening to you and and you start to question yourself then as well yeah you you do and and also I think it was that feeling of well why isn't anybody listening to me you know it sort of knocks your confidence because I think I'd always been quite a confident person and so we paid to see somebody privately a consultant but that really wasn't you know, it wasn't definitive. I mean, he said, yes, he may have autism, yeah. which really wasn't very helpful. Uh, £5,000, you know, you sort of think, oh, that was probably... At what age was, was that um, then? He was under a year. Mm. We did pay to see a speech and language therapist privately who gave us lots of helpful suggestions. But one thing they did down in Sussex, which was really helpful, was um, they had a portage service. Yeah. 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 And we had a wonderful lady used to come to us. She had two children who had autism, who were quite a lot older than Zach, and they both went to a boarding school. And she started doing pecs with Zach in a very, very simple way. But Zach was very, very quick to sort of... So the picture exchange yes, system, yeah. so you show a picture. Yeah. So, you know, she started it with the blank symbol. So Zach just understood that he gave something and got something in return. And he very quickly sort of understood what was expected of him to do that. And John and I both did pyramid courses with Pyramid who are down in Brighton and run the PECs in in this country. And so we, you know, were onto that, doing that at home from when Zach was really quite young. Mm, Very helpful. It was so sad, but speech and language therapy from sort of health service practically non-existent, especially in Sussex. Yeah. You know, I would keep ringing up and saying, wait, when are we likely to get an appointment? And they'd say, well, you're at the top of the list. And I'm like, well, that doesn't actually mean anything. It just means that there's people who are waiting even longer behind us. It's very frustrating. But then we moved to Hartford. And speech and language therapy was better. Yeah. But I think that we knew that we just had to invest in it ourselves, really, which is what we did. Not so much speech and language therapy, but with PECs, we did a five-day intensive course, which sort of moved us on to the next part of PECs. It was very, very hard to get the school to engage with it. So how old was he by then now when you moved to Hertfordshire? So when we moved here, Zach was um, a year and... Four months, I think. Because you just mentioned getting the school to engage, but at that time... Sorry, I'm jumping forward. Sorry. (laughs) No, not at all. I was So by the time he went to school, he had a diagnosis. He did. So he was diagnosed when he was 
almost two. You'd think then it's pretty good that he'd yeah. get priority yeah, for speech and language once you actually. Unfortunately, that's the way it works now, isn't it? You have to get a label before you get put on yeah. a list for help. Yes, I think that you know the speech and language therapist has to be sort of singing off the same song sheet as you are. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably a parent that the schools were fed up with. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be though don't you yeah I was on them all the time and they would have been happy to have used pet just for snack time and I sort of think you know people need to communicate all the time yeah, yeah. you wonder why you the students who are non-verbal are frustrated that's exactly why yeah yeah so he didn't have any speech at all he had no way of communicating except by using the pecs no I mean he did a lot of eye pointing yeah. and a lot of gesture but you had to know him to to know that that's what he was doing yeah no speech he didn't want to use Makaton at all no I mean he does say please and thank you he does do that even now but no Makaton wasn't mm. the Zach no, it's not suitable for everybody, is it? No. No, I was just wondering what kind of support that did he have um, in school then? At, at what age are we talking about now? Did he go to nursery? Was this... So he went to nursery, had a lovely lady at nursery who supported him, who we had a great relationship with. Yeah. And then we looked for his infant school. And it's very hard because, you, you know, there's part of you that wants him to go to a mainstream school but then you have to think well actually why do we want him to go to a mainstream school who is that for yeah and it wasn't suitable for Zach it wasn't the best place for him so after visiting the mainstream schools we we knew that he needed to go to a special school and that you know that's a problem because you have a choice of one school then which is the nearest school. Yeah. So that's where he went. And the nursery there was very, very good. They had a wonderful team. They used pecs all the time. Yeah. And they were really nurturing and caring in there. But the moment he left the nursery, it was just a disaster. One of the teachers hid his pecs book. She said he was using it to gain control. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was a horrible, horrible time. And even before all this started, I knew it wasn't the right school for Zach. Um, the fact that they called themselves a Makaton school, that, that wasn't right. I spoke to the education department, but... They, they don't want the child to move out of the school. They ask the school, are you meeting his needs? The school say yes. yes. The school don't want to look as though they fail. So he stayed there until he was excluded. How oh. old was he when he was excluded? He was nine. So that's a long time not to it be is. happy. Four years. Oh, it was, wow. it was heart, heartbreaking. And, it, you know, he did what a lot of children... And adults with autism do in that he would sort of try and hold it together through school but the moment he got in the front door yeah it just break down um I can see how hard it is for you just looking yeah, back sure just you, you know it was just he he was such a happy little boy you know and mischievous and fun and we sort of lost that when he was at that school. Bad, isn't it? And, you know, awful, awful things happened there. He came home with marks on his body, which the school claimed were what you would expect with the method of restraint that they use, you know, which is completely wrong. Yeah. And uh, the, the day after that, when the taxi arrived to pick Zach up, I mean, it broke my heart. He ran as fast as he could in the opposite direction to the taxi. And I just said, you know, you're staying at home with me today. You don't have to go to school. I felt awful sending him there. So how did you move away from that then? How well, they excluded him because his behaviour was getting increasingly aggressive at school. Of course it was, you know. They isolated him. They didn't let him be involved in anything. 
I went to sports day and found that they'd got a strap around his wrist and were leading him around on a lead. At which point I just said, I'm, I'm taking him home. Sorry, you're not doing that to my son. And they kept doing temporary exclusions. So they would say, right, you've got to come and get Zach because this has happened and that's happened. And very fortunately, at the same time as all this was going on, I was doing a course called Partners in Policymaking. That was with your local authority? Well, it's a national. Um, I don't think they run them anymore because the local authority helped fund them. It was over, I can't remember whether it was nine or ten months. So you would go for the whole weekend and you would cover different things on each weekend. But I found out such a lot about the law. Mm. We used to get big packs of information. You used to get people come to talk to you about what they'd achieved for their child. And I do think that was quite a pivotal moment for me because what I'd always, you know, I just always wanted Zach to, to sort of reach his maximum potential and to be happy. Yeah. And I knew he was capable of learning, but school certainly weren't teaching him anything apart from avoidance and you, you know how to get out of doing something that he, he didn't want to or letting them know he didn't want to be ignored in a way it sort of filled me with fire for what I could do with you know for that driver yeah yeah we had some amazing parents come to talk to us amazing professionals so all of that was going on with school while I was on the course and because of that I knew that these temporary exclusions were illegal you know of course school didn't like me saying that and I did you know I would bring him home but I did let them know that I knew that what they were doing was illegal and then we sort of had the summer holidays which you know were very unhappy because Zach was just so distressed about what was going on at school and I think that he expected the answer to everything to be no because that's you know you can't have that you can't you know we're shutting that door and so on so he went back in the September reluctantly yeah. from him and me and probably within a week we'd have another temporary exclusion and then very quickly we had a permanent exclusion and you know although it was like, where do we go from here? It was also a massive sense of relief. Because actually, he's managed to get out of there, you know, albeit by a very difficult route, but he doesn't have to go there anymore. Yeah, can imagine. But what we did do was we challenged their exclusion. We made it very clear we didn't want him to go back there. Yeah. But we challenged the exclusion because they hadn't gone through the correct channels. Yeah. They hadn't made the adjustments that they should have made. And um, the head teacher said to John, she said, you know, how does Zach benefit from having this exclusion overturned? And it was. And you sort of think you're the head teacher and you actually have, you, you don't care about the rights of the students in your school. You know, we didn't want him to go back, but we, we didn't want it to be said that he'd been excluded because it was all down to him, because it really wasn't. No, never is, is it? No. So then he, he was out of school for a year, which was difficult, and it was a real sort of unravelling time for him. So did you manage to continue to work when he was out of school, or how did that...? Um, well, fortunately, I work evenings. So I continued to work, but I needed to find a new school for him. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted to toe the line with Hertfordshire. So they asked me to visit a number of schools, none of which I could envisage Zach going to. They asked me to look at boarding school, which we didn't want. Yeah. They asked me to look at two National Autistic Society schools which, you know, may have been the right place for some students, and I'm sure they were, but they weren't right for Zach. Mm. I mean, what I wanted was a school that used PECS as it's meant to be used and didn't have yeah. their own yeah. version of it. And, 
you know, I went to, a, I can't remember which school it was, one of the schools in, in West London near Heathrow, and there were bars up at the window. And I was, it was not a very nice area. And I was sort of thinking, are the bars to keep the children in or are they to keep people, you know, who wasn't going to travel back and forth to Heathrow every day? No, it was a long journey. Several hours. So Treehouse School had a, every so often they would have an open afternoon for parents, prospective parents. And I arranged to go and I never in a million years thought that Hertfordshire would say yes, because it's out of county, you know, it's North London and it's charity. So it would have been more expensive for them. But I went and I was completely blown away by it. And I could see Zach going there. Yeah. I knew a couple of staff that worked there. I don't know whether that helped, but things moved very quickly and Hertfordshire did agree. Good. How did you know the staff through the courses you'd been on? Odorai, who we knew, um, she had been on the PEX, intensive PEX course that Zach did. And she had actually been his one-to-one on that. And we'd kept in touch. So that was really nice. And another of the staff who was in the office, Jo, she was the partner of one of my friend's brothers. Yeah. So it was easy you can, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so he started there when he was 10? Yes. I th- well, he was just 11 because he had that whole year out. Right, yeah. He was there basically for the whole of his secondary education and that worked well, did it? It did and it didn't. I mean, I think that Zach had learnt a lot of uh, ways to avoid doing things while he was at... And well, and it took a lot of unlearning. But the staff were lovely there, and they really, really embraced and nurtured the children. And he he was happy there. But I do think we were sort of hanging on by the skin of our teeth towards the end of that. Right. Zach's very determined. I think you know, and I'm sure you both know this, that people who have autism. Do you like control? Well, I suppose we all like control, don't we? I was going to say we all do, yeah. yeah. But it's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah. And so he he would, there were sort of quiet rooms at the school, which were meant to be rooms for people to de-escalate in. Actually, Zach seemed to be spending quite a lot of his day in those rooms. <laughs> you know, he'd have his iPad, he'd have his music. He was happy. But he did learn a lot there. And I think really that that is where his learning journey started. Yeah. They were so good with the pecs and they had a dentist room and they had a dentist who used to visit and sort of go through what a child would expect when they when they visited the dentist. It's sort of desensitisation. They took him away camping and um, yeah uh, they went to an outdoor adventure centre. I'm still in touch with quite a lot of the girls that looked after Zach when he was there. They were you know really passionate about what they do and most of them are still doing the same sort of job. So he was there till he was 17 you say? Yes yes so he's a late August baby so essentially missed a year really unfortunately there wasn't anywhere for Zach to go after Treehouse they had opened a college but they said that there wasn't a place for Zach there which was a real blow at the time that is a shame so what did he do then when he left at 17? So Treehouse had slightly different um, holidays to mainstream schools and sort of state schools. And so he left there at the end of the July. Well, I didn't get told that he wouldn't have a place at the college until I think the May. So so I had not very much notice. No. And so we had to dream up something very, very quickly. And I think that, you know, that John and I talked about moving so that we were closer to another college, which might be suitable. But, you know, Zach likes living where we live. Everyone knows him. Yeah. We had a, 
a direct payment package of support for Zach for out of school. And in the November, a company called Beam had been starting supporting Zach. And they do ABA and PBS, which is applied behaviour analysis and positive behaviour support. And it was going really well. Um, He had a team of people who used to come and take him out, do things at home with him. They were a massive difference with them than it was with other support agencies that the council had sort of sent round. Um, they were more expensive, <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, you get what you pay for, I think. Yeah. Did his package of support that he had, your personal allowance from his, his education plan, did that cover the support they were giving? It did, yes. I mean, I made sure that he had a, a support package that was sort of reflected the need that there was. Yeah. Actually, you know, Harpeture have always been very fair with us, so he did have a good support package and that was going well and it occurred to me that Beam might be able to support Zach full-time so we had that conversation and Cormac immediately said yes Mm. but then I thought about it and I thought actually you know for Zach being at home every day Mm. being based at home would not be the right thing Um, And I I don't think it would be for most people. I I sort of feel, you know, if I have a day where I don't have to get on with something, the chances are I will just sort of waste the day, really. You know, and you'll suddenly find it's two o'clock and you've really done nothing. So I wanted him to have a base that was close to a community so they could, you know, go out and do things. That was his own space that he went to every day and of course Hertfordshire had never had anyone suggest something like this and so between us and Beam we did a lot of work sort of writing out plans of you know long-term goals short-term goals yeah. uh, why it was appropriate for Zach talked about the cost about the hours of support because John and I were still doing the main part of the support and it took three well I found a base um a local charity had the use of a big mansion house at that time and they had some rooms that they weren't using so we negotiated with them and had the use of three rooms I mean it was a beautiful house it needed a lot of work doing to it it was freezing but it was beautiful even before Harpeture had agreed to this, I'd said yes to the, ro- the room. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, oh, yeah. I'd started putting furniture in and designing it as I thought it needed to be. Uh, so I wasn't going to take no for an answer. No. <laughs> so he had a lovely sensory room that was beautiful there. He had a computer room and a treadmill and an exercise bike in there. And then a very big living space where there was the TV and the stereo and all his sort of activities. We shared the kitchen and the toilet with um, the rest of the house. Mm. He'd only been there four months and the charity lost the use of the house. Yeah. (laughs) So Hertfordshire, I think it was the third time we took the plan to panel said yes and they said we'll give you a month and then they gave us three months and then when they saw it was working they they said yes so the charity wasn't able to use this space but you were still able to use that these three no we weren't (laughs) we had to look for a new one so we've done masses of work there (laughs) finding somewhere else was very very difficult so social services paid the rent and we had sort of quite a restricted budget so there was an article in the local paper asking if anyone had any space I approached just about everyone asking if anyone had somewhere and then I was just visiting somewhere at the Royal Voluntary Service place in a village not far from us and somebody there said, oh, you know, we were offered this place in Hartford and we didn't take it. And I don't know whether it's been filled. Yeah. 
And fortunately, I, I was doing quite a bit of work with Hertfordshire County Council by this time mm -hmm. as sort of an expert by experience and on co-production with them. And I spoke to somebody who was quite high up in the organisation and said, do you have any contacts in East Hearts District Council? Because it belonged to them. And he did. And so he contacted them. And very quickly, we found this brilliant space. And it's called Water Lane House. And it's in the castle grounds yeah. in Hartford. So it's right in the centre of the town. And it's like a, a sort of upstairs flat. And it's quite warm in winter, so it's lovely. <laughs> yeah, no, perfect. Is he still based there now in that house? Yes. Right. And it's it's just great. You know, he, he has another lovely sensory room. And that's where our office, the spectrum of misconception. I was going to ask him, how does this run on a daily basis? How does this set up work, you know, for Zach and for the other young adults that are there? There's a lot of change going on, actually, with Spectrum at the moment. So when we started, what we wanted was to have products which were sort of informative, but not in a hard sort of way. We wanted to send a message. Yeah. So initially what we did, we started with a Christmas card. And... That was the artist um, who did that for us, was one of my neighbours. And she's got a fine art degree. She's a very talented girl. And um, she just did a Christmas tree with lots of parcels in different shapes and sizes. And the message was autism comes in all shapes and sizes. And that was in 2018, wasn't it? Yes, yes. But so it started just with Zach, and that Christmas we sold a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of cards. And there's a, a friend whose son is also supported by Beam, who was in Zach's class at Treehouse. And so Jack was on board. So Jack um, and Zach would pack up the orders and then they would post them or deliver them by hand. And, you know, to go to the post office, especially at Christmas when it's busy, stand in a queue, it was a massive achievement for them. Mm. And then the next year we used another artist yeah. who did us two lovely cards. And again, they sold really well, but I'm still wanting us to have something that the guys could do all year round. And we had a few more people join. And we had different products at Christmas. We did some T-shirts, which sold well. But again, it was not really going all year. It goes mad at Christmas. So it's, it's sort of feast or famine, really, with it. <laughs> so what we're hoping to do now, we've just recently started selling um, Grace's Generation Soap. Yeah, they're beautiful. So they're made by Grace, who is 14, and her mum, Sue. Is she neurodiverse? She is, isn't she? She is, yeah. Can I just ask about that term? This is a very new term. And how would you explain neurodiverse? It's not a term I use, Anne. No. That's what Grace wants to be called. And interestingly, Archie, who is the CEO of Castaway Cottage, who we're also selling, also calls himself neurodiverse. Yes, it's more a term that's come to light recently. It, it is, it's a, it's a different term, isn't it? It's one, yeah, I, I've never used it before. Right, okay. So what we're now, the route that I think we're hoping to take is that we will sell products which already exist instead of trying to keep dreaming up things for us. We will still have our Christmas cards and we're also going to have a calendar this year, which our artist, who's very talented, has done for us. And it looks amazing. And I'm really excited, you know, that we're going to have that. We sell Harry Spector's chocolates as well. Um, that's another family business and wonky candles as well. 
which is another family who have uh, two sons with sort of additional needs and autism. And so I'm hoping that that's the way forward for us. I was just going to say, yeah, this is growing, isn't it? Yes. And really yes. Well. So all the packing and everything, does it happen at your house or is it? No. <laughs> so I pack up big boxes of um, stock and packing materials for all the guys. And wherever they're based, their team will support them to do it. I mean, in a way, it would be nice if there was a central place that they could all do it together. Yes. You know, who knows, in the future, may, maybe that's possible. Zach's space is too, too small for that. Um, the office is sort of bulging at the seams. <laughs> and as we grow, the, the sort of office is just being packed out with more and more gear. How are you balancing all of this, Emma? You know, when you charity and presumably still working as well and <laughs> yeah I still work I am involved with BUILD who are the British Institute for Learning Disabilities I did a course myself on positive behaviour support which they ran because I think it's really helpful if I know how things are meant to go yeah. and as a result of doing that it's sort of a um, they've invited me to do some work with them and also uh, presenting at their international conference this year, which is quite scary. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then I do some work with Hertfordshire on positive behaviour support. I'm on their steering group for the community of practice and also involved with their accommodation programme. So it's a scary thought, but you know, Zach probably should leave home at some point and need to know that there's a right place for him to live and it's good that you're involved in the community because it's the community support and a lot of the work you're doing is all community it's a community support that is so tough isn't it to to find and get yeah. the right support and access yeah I mean how how yeah. are you, how are you involved in actually working with all the other social care programs that the council has got going so I mean I'm only involved in those two at the moment Anne it's big enough yeah <laughs> I'm just wondering how they work together because you know social care community care that's a huge well it's lacking isn't it it's, yeah. yeah we're the only people in Hertfordshire who have been so Zach is the only young person young adult who's having his care delivered by Bean I chose them because I knew that they were right for Zach. You know, I have yeah. a great relationship with the directors, with Zach's um, supervisor, and they absolutely get that I am ambitious for Zach. Um, you know, I want him to do all the things that he can. And, you know, just sort of, so the headmistress at um, the first school Zach went to, when it was mentioned that Zach may be going to go to Treehouse, she sort of made a throwaway comment to somebody who told me what she'd said, which was, you know, he'd never fit in there. All those children are so serene. That's <laughs> our reaction there, no, not at all. I, I know, I know. She had no ambition for the children. And I think that, you know, I don't think Zach's ever going to be a lawyer or a teacher but I want him to be able to do what he's capable of absolutely yeah. you know and and I think that unless people are supported in the right way you'll never know what they're capable of exactly you, mu you must be very proud of everything you've achieved and that Zach's achieved I'm really proud of Zach you know I, I think so the guys send me photographs um when they're out and about and he had a dental appointment last Friday and probably before treehouse wouldn't have been able to get him to a dentist for a proper examination but they managed to do an x-ray and put mm. fluoride on his teeth and so on and he goes to my hairdresser and has a proper haircut 
out mm. and he arrives with a great big grin on his face every time he goes to see her you know and those things are, you know they do make me proud and when I see that he's done his shopping and he's paid with his bank card or he's you know got some rice out of the cupboard at his base and popped it in the microwave and made himself a bowl of rice I I, I just I feel you know for Zach having the right support has been liberating and liberating for you for as you, a family exactly. yeah well I mean I often think at many times during Zach's life things could have gone horribly wrong and I also do some work with the Challenging Behaviour Foundation. Incredibly busy. They're a brilliant charity. The National Autistic Society sort of it's very sounds ridiculous but they're mainstream autism really so for people who are probably more able to function um in a workplace or mainstream school or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the Challenging Behaviour Foundation support parents who have children who their behaviour can be challenging because their needs aren't being met in the right way. And some of the parents who come to the catch-up that I run for the Challenging Behaviour mm -hmm. Foundation, some of the stories are just, they leave me unable to stop thinking about them for the whole day you know that we've had the catch-up and then still clearly remember what they've told me because they are so harrowing exactly you know sadly this is the case isn't it and uh, there's going to be people who will listen to this you know and um you know experiencing some of the yeah. the, the you know the, the the horrors that you've gone through with with Zach and what what advice would you give to them I know that's a really hard question, but... So at Treehouse, there's a brilliant advocate called Belinda Blank. And she used to she used to run sessions for the parents, which I always used to go to. And she would drum the law into you, the Care Act, the Autism Act. And that is something which I, I've used, you know, and I... I think that once a professional knows that you know what the rights of your child are, they're much more on the back foot or maybe have a little more respect for you, I, which is wrong. It's totally wrong. But I do think it's important to know the law. Yeah. I think that that has helped, but also persistence. You know, I remember being a nurse in A&E. And you've got the patients who will not leave you alone. When are we going to be seen? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. A few minutes later. When are we going to be seen? And real nuisance. And in the end, you think, well, actually, let's see them now. Get them out of the department. And perhaps I'm that person. Is that a woman yeah. again? Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, Do you think it's made you more determined? You were talking earlier about with your psyche hmm. and you didn't feel you were determined. Yeah, definitely. You are more determined, I, yeah. I think that if I'd had the determination I have now, <laughs> I'd have been giving Lisa a run for her money. <laughs> oh, golly. You would have been that Olympian and that... Uh... Yeah, well, I, I just, you know, the passion I feel for not just Zach, for other people exactly it comes across clearly in what you're saying that you're passionate and the number of people that you're helping you know through all your different connections yeah. and the fact that you still are working you're still a community nurse aren't you as well you yes I yes I can't begin to think how no. you organize everything I think um the nursing is something which I enjoy seeing the patients and their families. I mean, a lot of the nursing is very sadly palliative. I hope that I can make people comfortable. I do enjoy the nursing and I do think it, in a way it's a leveller because I think that it's quite easy to get absorbed in your own situation. And I don't want to be that person. You know, I want to be able to give something to other people as well. And I, I don't think it's, I know that we all go through awful times and it's very hard at times not to think yeah. about your own situation, but it does open your eyes to, you know, what's, what other people are living through as well.
Very true. Oh, golly. Yes. Uh, you <laughs> talked about the title of your charity, Spectrum of Misconception. What are the main misconceptions do you think people have got? Oh, I think there's so many, Anne. There is, yeah. So many. I, I think that when a person is non-verbal, people will talk about them because they can't speak, but they don't seem to realise, well, they, they can understand. Yeah. I find it so rude when people do that. I think it's so disrespectful. I think that the idea that someone is not intelligent because they're non-verbal. I mean, I've, I've got a friend who, now I can't remember what it's called, but he can find the letters and make words with them. He's non-verbal, so he's been taught to do this. And he has written some amazing poetry, wow. but he can't speak. And I, I think that it's that sort of lack of ambition for people. Mm. So when I was on the co-production board for Hertfordshire, we had a day when we visited various um, places in Hertfordshire that the council ran. And you go to a day centre and it's sort of 9.30 until 3.30. And you sort of think, okay, so what do they do after 3.30? It's Monday to Friday. Do they not have a weekend? Yeah. Wonderful buildings with people who have no ambition for the people who go to them, have no imagination about all the things that they could be doing. I find that really frustrating. I find a sort of, it's almost like a token gesture and I'm really not into tokenism. Yeah. I do think that sometimes I allow my ideas to run away with me. No, no. no you have to have those, yeah. those dreams, don't you? So what is the dream then? There's lots of things. I would love to win the lottery because yeah. I have so many things I would love to do. I would really like a great big base that other people who have autism and complex behaviour needs could go to with their teams which had a cafe, which was run by them, which had different classes going on, which they don't have to do, but if they'd like to do, they can, which have activities in the evenings, activities at the weekends, which is open every day for them. Because, you know, Zach having that base is a luxury that not many other people have. I just think people need somewhere to go where they belong. Yeah, yeah. that they can call their own. Yes. And as you say, outside the outside home. Outside the home. Yes, exactly. absolutely. You know, their day starts in the same way that our days start, with purpose. So that's one of the things I would love to do. I would build lots of houses, you know, have, have suitable housing in a community yes, that yeah. Zach, to be able to live in a similar community to the one we live in, in this town. So he's always close to us. And I want him to be able to choose who supports him you know I don't want a house that comes as part of a package with a with carers on site I want him to be able to choose that I want them to be two separate entities because all the time you know from the challenging behavior foundation I hear about people being evicted from the place that they're living yes. because of their behaviour. Yeah. We had that conversation with Sarah, didn't we? Sarah's it's, another mother of yes. an autistic child and she they bought a house. Yeah, I mean, it's something we'd love to do. I mean, property prices around here are very high. You know, I, I want him to live somewhere I'd want to live. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't sleep at night thinking that he was living somewhere I wouldn't want to live yeah so yeah I do need to win the lottery <laughs> probably never going to happen but I think that not having that isn't going to stop it continuing to grow and that uh, you know people still approach us and say I'd like my child to be able to be involved when you see the faces of, of them when they're involved and when they're packing and especially when the guys do hand deliveries you know and the person that opens the door is really thrilled to see them and I mean Zach gets so much pleasure from being told he's done something well don't we all yeah absolutely I mean that's a human need isn't it um, to be appreciated yes yeah and valued. yeah 
It's a sad yes. story, as you say, that this is the case nationwide, isn't it? You know, yes. and we need we need people like you, a force for change. Definitely, Emma. Yeah, I do appreciate Hertfordshire giving me the opportunity to be involved in things that they're doing. I, yeah, and you've been fighting for that since the day you was born and continuing to do so. Emma, thank you very, very much for everything you've said. It's been really interesting and, as we say, different perspective as a parent and, uh, and working yeah. with the authority as well. You've got a huge scope there. Oh, thank you both. Listening to Emma, it reminds me how we also had an episode featuring Sam. Cases where parents just do their best to help their children through the hurdles that are thrown at them, really. We never know what's around the corner for our families and we never know what we might have to deal with, taking us out of our comfort zones, really. But it's what we do as parents. We all know being a parent doesn't come with a manual. It just comes with a passion and desire to do the very best. Next week, we listen to Hilary, a 97-year-old great-grandmother who knows all about being a parent, knows all about the war, and actually had me in complete stitches when I drove her to be interviewed. Hopefully you enjoy hearing Hilary's story next week. Once again, thank you for listening. Bye. As Emma says, being a parent is incredibly rewarding, but it is by no means easy. Emma has a huge amount of energy and determination, which she has used to fight for the very best for Zach. And not only Zach, but a number of other young adults who she's supporting and giving a real purpose. Just listening back to this episode, made me quite emotional. It was actually released on the day my eldest son, Peter Dibbon, married his lovely bride, Chloe Gilman. It was a fantastic day and just listening brings back all those memories. Again, keep listening and do whatever you do. Enjoy every moment. Bye for now.